Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. Now, of course, this podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. If you are unfamiliar with what Morbidly Beautiful is or what they do, it's a website that features all sorts of great horror pop culture. Everything ranging from movie reviews to retrospectives, introspectives, interviews, whatever you want, they have it. Go check it out right now. They also have a very awesome library of podcasts that you can check out other than just mine. They have a couple of great ones where they talk about movies, traditionally, and they also have one that focuses all on Are You Afraid of the Dark? That awesome show from the 90s. Everybody loved it. I loved it. It's probably what got 90% of people who are into horror into horror. So go check out those two other podcasts. You can check out what they have to offer on morbidlybeautiful.com. Now, this is a part where I would usually do some housekeeping, but I will leave that till the end today, just so you don't get bored in the first five minutes of this episode. We are indeed continuing on through our journey across the eerie United States. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we stopped off in Florida and checked out the Skunk Ape, and this week we are in Georgia, looking at a haunted and or cursed lake. I'm going to let you in on a little secret about myself. I am terrified of water. So lakes, large bodies of water, ponds, puddles, kind of give me the heebie-jeebies. So when I come across something that is called a cursed lake, I tend to stay away from it as much as I possibly can. And that all has to do with some childhood trauma, such as being dropped to the bottom of a pool during my very first swimming lesson at the age of uh, two, three years old, however you are when you start your swimming lessons. And uh, that didn't go well. And then later on, when I was about four, I'd say, maybe even younger than that, my mom had me on a inflatable raft in a lake, and there was a bee. And my mom freaked out and threw me overboard. Uh, apparently, they got me pretty quickly, but still, I think the trauma stuck. So water and I don't mix. I hyperventilate in the shower sometimes. So, yeah, I'm cool and big and scary, I know. Terrified of some water. Nevertheless, I had to look into Lake Lanier. At least I think it's called Lake Lanier. I am from Canada, and I-E-R generally stands for yay. It could be Lanier, but uh, we'll probably jump between the two during this podcast. Now, Lake Lanier does sit in the state of Georgia, and it is more of a man-made reservoir than it is a traditional lake. But it is a fair size body of water nevertheless, and it lies among the foothills of North Georgia in the mountains for 26 miles, 75 meters deep at its deepest point, and with an area of 150 kilometers squared, or 59 squared miles, and has a lot of water, and it consists of about 1,114 kilometers of shoreline. It is officially named Lake Sydney Lanier, but it's mostly just known as Lake Lanier. As I said, it is a man-made reservoir, and it 
took a lot to get made. And the origins can be traced back to 1948, when the U.S. government purchased approximately 100 acres of farm from a river ferry operated by the name of Harry Shadburn. And they wanted to do this to start a water project on the Chattanoochee River for the purposes of providing the city of Atlanta with hydroelectricity, flood control, and water supply. In 1950, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers began breaking ground and construction of the Buford Dam, commenced on the Chattanoochee River, which would eventually be completed in 1956. And then that began the process of flooding the foothills to create the lake. Now this project, if you want to call it that, had a lot of issues right from the get-go. Funding for the project was faced with numerous hurdles, and it stopped and started construction to the point where it was amazing that it actually finished on time, which it did. It did actually finish on time, on schedule, somehow. Additionally, though, the Corps of Engineers, as well as the states, which used the Apalachia and Chattanoochee Flint River Basin, and the Alabama Coosa Tallapoosa River Basin, comprised of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and they all fought over what the water should be used for. Should it be used for farming? Should it be used for hydroelectricity? Should it be used for clean water to drink? It varied. It was a lot of going on, a lot of fighting going on between those particular states. They also fought about how there should be consumption caps or, you know, where the priority should be given to. And all the while this was going on, there were federal laws because it spanned through all those different counties and areas, and a lot of federal law had to go into place to figure out exactly what was going to happen. In the end, there was even a debate about what the name should be called, but finally they settled on the name of the poet Sidney Lanier, or Lanier. Not 100% sure on that still. Now, when you make a man-made reservoir, there's always going to be some destruction. Of course, in this area, it was filled with forests and wildlife and all sorts of inhabitants as well. It took five years for them to completely fill this lake with water. And in that time, a lot of things ended up underwater, such as farms, communities, towns, and cemeteries. Approximately more than 50,000 acres of prime farmland and pristine wilderness was uprooted, moving more than 250 families, 15 businesses, and even relocating, as I said, 20 cemeteries along with their corpses in the process. Now, if anybody's ever seen a movie circa 1980, we know that moving cemeteries can be a very bad thing. Leads to a whole lot of disrupted spirits, hauntings, whatever you want to call it. People, especially the dead people who were buried there, get a little angry that their resting place has been disturbed as such. Of course, that wasn't all that got buried. There were things such as historical landmarks, river ferry businesses, and a racetrack called the Looper Speedway all went underwater. They would be buried in their watery tomb for all eternity. And that pretty much means that there's a complete and intact ghost town beneath Lake Lanier. Literally a ghost town. Nobody lives there, obviously, as it's underwater, but also because of all the cemeteries and corpses that were moved and disrupted during the whole process. People have even reported that when they go diving in the area, they do tend to see nothing overly crazy in terms of ghost activity, but it's eerie to see roadways and buildings still completely intact, almost like a little Atlantis in the heart of Georgia. It's kind of creepy if you think about it. Could you imagine scuba diving along a road 
There might even be some cars and leftover vehicles of other purposes down there. It'd be very interesting to check out if I weren't completely and utterly terrified of water. However, that in and of itself does not make it haunted or spooky or even cursed. What does make it haunted, though, is the inordinate amount of deaths associated with the lake, ranging from boating accidents, drownings, and even a fair number of drivers who have lost control of their vehicles and gone speeding off into the lake and to crash into the water. There are various stories of boats hitting something in the water, only for it to turn out to be absolutely nothing. Boats or other watercrafts capsizing for no apparent reason as well, and sudden, dangerous, massive waves that seem to come out of nowhere. And these waves crash onto the shore and hit unsuspecting people or whoever may be just around just to witness it. It's a very eerie and spooky sight. Many of the drowning cases, however, are somewhat odd in that they have happened very close to the shoreline with strong swimmers in calm conditions. Which just lends to the credence that the lake is haunted and maybe even cursed. Some who have almost drowned and lived to tell the tale have told of feelings that they were being pulled underwater or held under by unseen hands, or having the air suddenly taken from their lungs, as if somebody reached in and just yanked the air right out of themselves. Now that is a very... Oh my god, I get the chills just thinking about that. My greatest fear, bar none, is, is drowning, with a very, very close second being trapped in some sort of like confined area in a cave or something and not being able to move, and then just being stuck there forever. That's why I don't go scuba diving, because both those things are a possibility. So let's just stay out of the water. We're meant to breathe oxygen in the air. There isn't any of that in water, so stay away. Gah. Nevertheless, let's get back to the cast, back to Lake Lanier here. People have reported, as I said, of being trapped or held by some unseen force. And another eerie aspect of this is that when the people who have actually drowned, when they are found, they're found nowhere close to where they actually drowned or where they went swimming. Now, of course, that could obviously be just nothing more than the current, some waves, some boating, other people moving the water in such a way that it forces the body to float that far away. And before they're found, things travel pretty quickly in water, from what I understand. So, I mean, that is obviously a possibility. But I like to think it was the creepy ghost stealing souls and then moving the body when they had no more use for them. Just a thought. While the locals generally knew about the goings-on with Lake Lanier, it wasn't until 2011 that it got a more widespread reputation for being cursed or haunted. And that was because there were a total of 17 deaths on Lake Lanier, and many due to freak accidents. 2012 continued the same trend, and when a quick succession of violent deaths and horrific injuries occurred here, it made national news. The first of these deaths began on June 18, 2012, when nine-year-old Jake Prince and his brother Griffin, 13, were riding a pontoon out on the lake and were struck and killed by a speeding boat driven by a Johns Creek business owner named Paul J. Bennett. Mere weeks after this tragic accident, on July 9th, 11-year-old Kyle Glover, who happened to be the son of a popular pop star, Usher's ex-wife, Tamika Foster, was struck while riding an inner tube by a family acquaintance, riding a jet ski, and rendered braindead. Although doctors struggled to save his life, he died two weeks later on July 21st and was taken off life support. 
Also involved in that accident was a 15-year-old who was a friend of Kyle, and he did survive the incident, however, after a lengthy stay in the hospital. These tragic accidents took the media by storm, and before long, Lake Lanier was deemed cursed, or even a death trap, and the local news and social media jumped all over it, calling it just as such. They called it evil, vile, and the best to be avoided. Now, besides the string of freak accidents and drownings that seem to always be associated with Lake Lanier, there have been more suspicious and mysterious disappearances and deaths that still go unsolved to this day. There's a case that revolves around a Georgia man by the name of Kelly Nash, who was 25 at the time. He went missing from his home in Buford, Georgia, on January 5th, 2015. It was around 4 a.m., and Nash awoke with flu-like symptoms, such as coughing and sneezing, and he told his girlfriend, Jessica Saxton, who was with him at the time, that he felt terrible and should probably go see a doctor before going back to bed at 4 a.m. I guess he meant emergency room? That's my guess. Sexton then woke up again at 7.30 a.m. to find that Nash was gone, and he had not taken his wallet, car keys, or ID with him. When Nash still had not returned that evening, police were called in and it was discovered that a 9mm pistol was missing from the house, but none of Nash's other belongings were. A search would be launched for Nash, involving authorities, family members, and everybody who wanted to lend a hand, and dogs specifically trained to sniff out dead bodies. There was a $50,000 reward offered for any information, yet no trace of the man or his whereabouts were ever found. Well, it wasn't until one month after his strange disappearance anyway, on February 8th, that Nash's decomposed body was found in Lake Lanier by a fisherman. Stranger still, he was still wearing the pajamas and dark shirts that he had on when he went missing. And although the body appeared to have no major trauma, it was found that he had suffered a single gunshot wound to the head. It's been a long time since that happened. Four years, almost five at this point. And it's not been solved. Nobody knows why he got up in the middle of the night other than having flu-like symptoms. No one knows why he took a gun. And no one knows exactly what happened to him. Could have been suicide. It could have been murder. It's all up in the air still. And it will probably go unsolved for the rest of time. August of 2012 also had another strange disappearance. A 16-year-old Gainesville High School student by the name of Hannah Trulove went missing from an apartment complex near Lake Lanier where she lived. This was on August 24th. The following day, Hannah's body was found in a wooded area by the lakeside by another resident of the apartment complex. Poor Hannah had been stabbed several times. Yet it was unclear if the wounds were life-threatening and the actual cause of death remains elusive, although authorities were able to rule out drowning. What made this case even stranger was a series of tweets Hannah had made on Twitter shortly before her death expressing general discontent with her life in the apartment complex and her fear of a stalker, with one chilling tweet allegedly stating, quote, So scared right now. Hannah's father would go on to say that his daughter had made no mention of being under any duress and had not seemed any different or more upset than usual in the days leading up to her disappearance and death. Nobody was ever able to gain any insight or information from the tweets. And no leads would ever come and no suspects were ever apprehended in the case. 
and there was a major and exhaustive investigation, including interviews with neighbors and nearby residents, none of whom had ever heard or seen anything suspicious on that day in question. Despite numerous pleas and cries for help and requests for information from the public or anybody who had any information at all, the death of Hannah Truelove remains unsolved and a mystery to this very day. Not all of these deaths and disappearance are modern. They're not even all from the 2000s. One dates back to April of 1958. A young woman who worked at the Riverside Military Academy, Delia Parker Young, and her friend Susie Roberts headed off to Three Gables in Dawsonville in Susie's 1954 Ford for a night out. They would never return, sadly. An investigation into their disappearances discovered that they had visited a gas station that night without ever paying. The only clue left at the scene was a set of skid marks across the road which seemed to suggest that the car had skidded off the Lanier Bridge on Dawsonville Highway and into the lake below. However, there was no evidence that could be found. There were divers who were brought in to search for the car, but were unable to locate anything due to poor visibility in the murky water. Furthermore, there were tons and tons of tree trunks that littered the bottom of the lake due to some controlled deforestation in the area. It made finding the car or any evidence of the two girls almost impossible. It took 18 months, and police were unable to find any further clues and no trace of the missing women or the car. But then a fisherman by the name of C.A. Simpson made a gruesome discovery when the bodies of what was thought to be that of Delia Parker Young suddenly floated up from the depths. Oddly, the corpse, which could not be completely positively identified at the time, was missing two toes from the left foot and both hands. It was never discovered why the body was missing its hands or the toes or what the cause of death actually was. And there was absolutely no way of knowing if the corpse was truly Delia. It was eventually buried in an unmarked grave in Alta Vista Cemetery. The body of Sue Roberts and the car remained missing, despite repeated searches. It's time to fast forward now, jump in the time machine, 32 years later, to November of 1990. Construction was just beginning on the expansion of Lanier Bridge, and the crews were dredging the bottom of the lake in order to set up pillars for the expansion. They uncovered a rusted out hulk of a 1954 Ford, which held within it the remains of a human body. The car had been hidden within the trees and murky, muddy water, in 90 feet of water, on a steep slope. The body was decomposed to the point of being unidentifiable, but the belongings found on it, including a purse, rings, and a watch, were able to conclusively prove that the body belonged to Susie Roberts. In light of this discovery, it was concluded that the other body had indeed been Delia Parker Young. The headstone was changed accordingly, and Susie Roberts was buried beside her friend. The death of these two women have also spawned a little bit of an urban legend, if you will, and has been told over and over again as consisting of a ghostly woman dressed in a blue dress and missing her hands that can sometimes be seen walking up and down the length of the Lanier Bridge. It is said to be the ghost of Delia Parker Young, since she had been dressed in blue on the night of her death, and her body had been missing its hands and a couple of toes. She's been known as the Lady of the Lake, and it seems as though Delia's restless spirit is searching for her missing hands. So let's do a little recap now. Over the course of the past 70-odd years, this lake has been 
home to a number of disastrous events, including deaths, murders, disappearances, people reporting that they've been pulled under or having their breath pulled from their lungs. But that isn't all when it comes to the paranormal or supernatural. One peculiar sighting is that on occasion there have been reports of a mysterious raft with a lantern guiding its way. This isn't super unheard of on lakes and ponds and spillways or whatever you want to call them. However, this is a little bit more on the weird side when you take into account that the boat is propelled by somebody pushing it with a pole as if they're skiing in the boat. Again, not super peculiar, except that this is usually spotted where the water is roughly 45 feet deep. I don't know about you, but that is a very large pole and a very awkward way to row a boat when there are other ways. Nevertheless, that is one of the weird sightings. Other than that, there are some natural occurrences that do take place. There are alleged reports that there are catfish that dwell in Lanier Lake that range from 5 to 7 feet long. That is a big catfish. There's a story that goes in the 80s, a truck carrying live chicken hurtled off the bridge, crashing into the lake below. When divers went to examine the wreckage, they found dozens of catfish circling the formerly live chickens, devouring them. And some of these divers even say that they were the size of 12-year-old boys. Now, that could all be exaggeration or the urban legend kind of playing tricks on their minds, or it could just be all completely made up. Nevertheless, Lake Lanier has its secrets. It has its curses, and apparently it has its very own set of hauntings and strange circumstances. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, be sure to leave a review. Reviews help little guys like me reach the big time, and it helps get other people interested in the show as well. So if you do want to support the Horror Shots podcast in any way, the best way to do it is to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, even Stitcher. Stitcher's a good place as well. Beyond that, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast. It's a spooky sort of storytelling podcast that features me speaking in a slightly deeper tone, a little bit more monotonous, a little more eerie, I guess you could say. And I'm reading short stories that I've written and accumulated over the years. They're all original. So you can check that out, and it's called By the Candle's Light. You can check that out again at shows.pippa.io slash candleslight. Or on iTunes, just search by the candle's light. Anything along those lines. That's if you do prefer a little bit more fiction as opposed to fact. So that's all I have for you this week. So again, until next week when we will probably continue our tour on the eerie United States.